Good morning, Peachtree. It is such a joy and a privilege to be with you in this way, to be able to share in the gospel together. You need to know as a pastor is that there are times when a song and worship is sung and it inspires you to stand up and to speak. And then there are times like in that rendition of It Is Well With My Soul, where there's a part of me that just wants to close in prayer and say amen. But I do believe that God has something for us to discover this morning, for something for us to explore. We're in the midst of a series of messages that we're calling Uncertain Times. Here's the roadmap for you, the headlines of what's going on in this chaotic era in David's life. We're talking about how life is completely unpredictable and at the same time how God is totally reliable. Even in uncertain times, God is still speaking. God is still searching. God is still selecting. God is still sending us out as his faithful followers in the world. And as we look at this through the life of King David, last week we talked about, as Cody mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, we're talking about how there's a difference between faith and fear, that nothing quite paralyzes like fear, and nothing gives life like faith. We saw that last week through the famous story of David and Goliath, and we're going to continue in that journey through the life of David today, but I need to begin in a different place. Today, I want to begin by showing you a picture of a small little songbird. This is called the golden-winged warbler, and this tiny little beautiful bird migrates like most birds across the United States. And it moved in 2014 to where it typically resides at that season, to East Tennessee. Usually it stays there for quite a while. But as the scientists were observing this little bird, on this particular occasion it got there, it stayed for only a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, all of the golden-winged warblers took off flight and flew 400 miles south to the Gulf of Mexico along the coast where there's some shoreline where birds tend to reside along the coast of Texas. They could not for the life of them figure out why these birds decided to fly so far when they had just gotten to what was supposed to be their home. Well, it turns out these little birds knew something that we didn't because it was on just a few days later that this storm front blew through. 87 different tornadoes, over a billion dollars worth of destruction to a variety of communities, over 10 people who died in that storm. Somehow, in some way, those birds knew that those storms were coming a day or two before they arrived. What they've discovered since is that these birds have an incredible ability for what they kind of refer to as an infrasound wave. These sound waves, storms create, large storms create them, and the, the reverberations of those, which we can't hear as human beings, can be felt for hundreds, if not thousands of miles. And these beautiful little songbirds are actually in tune with these particular waves and so they knew that this was a moment when they couldn't stay where they were, that they had to leave. 
As we look at the life of King David, one of the skills that I think King David has is he has this incredible sense, this incredible sensitivity to these moments where whether he is supposed to fight or whether he is supposed to flee. And one of the things that we're about to discover in the life of David is he knows that there are those moments where he can't stay where he is and that he needs to leave. And so as we're going to look at the life of King David, I want to remind you about what we've discovered thus far, that in chapter 16, David is kind of plucked out of obscurity. He's the youngest son, he's the runt of the litter, and he is in this large family that lives in the middle of nowhere, a kind of a hick town called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And yet he is anointed out of that obscurity to be the future king, the chosen one for God's people. David becomes a champion. He defeats the giant Goliath. And then at the end of chapter 17, King Saul knows a good thing when he sees it, puts his arm around David and allows David to live in his house and anoints him to be an amazing warrior. And he develops great friends, David does. He falls in love and he experiences success after success after success. Well, you might think that this story has a happy ending, but this is a sermon series called Uncertain Times, so you know that there's going to be a few bumps along the way. And so as David gets more successful, Saul becomes more insecure and jealous. And so what ends up happening is that the more that David actually wins in battle, Saul actually becomes more and more insane in his anger and he wants to kill David. He tries to do this on multiple occasions. And there's actually something in the Bible which I think is, we don't have archaeological evidence for it, but I think this is the first TikTok dance, and it's in the Bible. Let's look at it together. It says this. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and with lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. And so the more that David was successful, the more that they sang and they repeated this song over and over and over again. They kept pushing repeat on the Instagram videos and people kept liking it and liking it. And the more that people liked David, the more that Saul wanted to kill him. And so over the course of chapters 18 through chapters 21, what we get to see and experience is that David, over and over again, has to figure out how to get away. Let me show you what this looks like. David fled and escaped in chapter 19, verse 10. Then he fled and escaped a little later, and then he fled and escaped a little later, and he fled, and he rose, and he fled the next day. And so David escaped. Over and over again in these verses, one of the things that we discover that for many chapters in this season of David's life, David runs and he hides. Now, if this was a different person, you might argue that David was a coward, but we know better than that. We know that he's a mighty warrior. We know that he's not afraid of anything. He took one look at a giant and said, I'll take him on. 
And so this has nothing to do with cowardice. And neither does this have anything to do with avoidance. What this does have to do with is wisdom. Because here's the deal. There are some dangers, there are some moments in your life that you cannot fight through. That the right thing to do is to figure out how to find shelter. And so if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Let's put it up on the screen. And I hope that you'll say this even with me. No matter how brave you are, sometimes the most faithful thing to do is flee. No matter how brave you are, sometimes the most faithful thing to do is flee. Yes, sometimes we're called to fight. But at other times, we're called to find a safe place, a shelter, a sanctuary. And this is something that the golden-winged warbler and David both know, that they are in tune with the rhythms of those moments when we are supposed to find a place in order to wait out the storm. And so what we're about to discover in the life of David is that there is this moment at the beginning of chapter 22 where David runs and he hides and he goes to a place that's called Agilom. Agilom is a real place. It's actually an old Canaanite city and it's also named for the region. And it's not that far away from Bethlehem where David grew up. I want to show you a picture of the cave that we think is likely that David hid in all those many thousands of years ago. Actually, there are 1,200 caves that are registered in the nation of Israel. Most of the caves in Israel are unregistered. And 480 of those registered caves are in a national park that's located here in this area of Agilom. And so one of the things that we discover with the life of David is that David knows this area really well. And if you're looking for a place to hide, a place where there's thousands of caves, that's the right place to be. And so David goes to this place called Agilom. And Agilom means a hiding place. David finds a, a shelter, a, a sanctuary, a place where he can hunker down to be able to wait out the storm of King Saul. Now, where do you go when you're in danger? You find a safe place. But then there's the question of what do you do when you're there? Now, David was not just a warrior. He was also a poet. He was not just a leader militarily or politically. He was also a person of great faith. And I think the greatest contribution of David was not the rule that he enacted, but it was actually the prayers that he offered. 73 out of the 150 prayers that is known as the Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible, it was the prayer book of Jesus. 73 of those are attributed to King David. Most of them, we don't know what was going on specifically in David's life. But one of the really cool things about Psalm 57 is that we actually know with a header that's included in the Bible, a little preamble of what was going on. I want to put this up on the screen for you to see. And if you're looking at this in your Bible, it says this, for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. We don't know what that tune is anymore, but I'd love to know what it is. Of David, of Mictron. 
and when he had fled from Saul into the cave. We actually know when David composed this prayer. And so when David has to go into hiding, when he has to go into that deep place, when he has to go to that hiding place and into the darkness, we know what he said to Almighty God. And I would love for you to get to hear and to learn and to pray some of the aspects of this prayer for yourself. We won't cover the whole thing, but let's cover a couple of these verses along the way. David starts out by saying, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. Refuge is actually one of David's most favored words for God. It was like a nickname for God that he would often call God his refuge, his strength, a place where he could go. And it wasn't really a location. So you see, for David, it's not just about a cave where Saul can't find him. It's about being able to go to the one who will save him, who protect him. And so what we discover about King David is that his ultimate refuge, his ultimate hiding place, his agilum, was in God himself. And let's look at the second part of verse 1. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I think this verse is so telling and so difficult for type A people like myself. I want to make something happen. I want to do what I can to make whatever it is, the danger or the problem, to be eradicated, to get it over with. And yet there are some challenges that we face in this life that you can't fight your way through. It's not a puzzle that you can solve on a particular time. It is that you have to wait. We have to wait sometimes just until the disaster's over. And I think particularly in the midst of this pandemic, this is one thing where we feel powerless and we need to find safe places until the disaster will be over. Prayer, Dallas Willard says, is asking and waiting in God. You need to know I have no problem with the asking part. It's the waiting part that I struggle with. It's the part where I have to trust and to rely that there's a sense of timing that might be beyond what my own desires are. And so David takes refuge in God. He's willing to be patient in God. And then David prays this. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. One time I had a staff member who had been working with me for almost five years. And at the end of those kind of five years, we had a lunch and a conversation. And what was happening in that conversation was all of a sudden he started to get a little emotional and to divulge something to me that he had not shared with me for the five years of us working together. That when we had been going through the search process that someone had mentioned offhand that he wasn't my top choice for the job. And because of that, there had been five years of insecurity of him really not believing that I believed in him. As soon as he shared that with me, my heart sank. And the reason that it sank was that he had been holding on to that for so long. And I told him, I said, you know what, when we started the process, I did have in mind who I thought would be perfect for the job. 
But when we got to the end of that process, you were my top candidate for this position. And I do believe in you. And I've always believed in you. And yet you've held on to that for so long. I just wish you would have told me sooner so I could have corrected the misunderstanding. You know, sometimes we hang on to things in our own insecurities and doubts. And yet the Lord of the universe invites us to cry out to him, to share with him, to pour out our hearts and our lives before him. I want to ask you this morning, is there anything that you're holding on in your insecurity and in your fear before God that you need to pour out before him so that he might be able to pour into your life? And then David says this, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell amongst ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I love the vividry of David's language here. The incredible imagination of, basically, if we were going to paraphrase this, I love how David's basically saying, like, I feel like I'm being eaten alive. And so David is able to share with God, not only how he really feels and in insecurities and doubts and in his pain, David is also able to really pour out his raw emotions before God. C.S. Lewis says, we must lay before God what is in us and not what we think ought to be in us. I think the biggest impediment, particularly for Presbyterians, the biggest impediment to our prayer life is not more discipline. The impediment is that we try to have such sanitized prayers that we're telling God what we think that he wants to hear. If there's one action item that I could encourage you in your prayer life, in those moments where you need to run and to hide and to go to your shelter, that is to not hold back on what you're trying to say before God. And if you need to say to God, God, I feel like I'm being eaten alive, and say it. And then David continues with this. He says, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. There is a connection between the firmness of your heart, the security of your soul, and that of your ability to sing and to worship. People tell me, oh, I miss coming to worship so much. I miss being in worship too. I miss particularly singing together. But that doesn't mean that you can't worship. It doesn't mean that you can't worship in your living room. If David can write prayers and worship in a cave, then we can do so in the comfort of our own home. And the thing that will anchor our souls and help our hearts to become steadfast in the midst of the changing winds and the chaotic nature of today's times and world is for us to make music, to sing, to worship before God. And so that might be in your car, that might be with your home stereo, that might be joining along when the choir comes onto the screen, whatever it takes. But the action of worshiping is what makes our hearts steadfast. And we need to continue to do that. 
And then David says this, Awake my soul, awake harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. Notice that line, I will awaken the dawn. I'm not much for staying up late at night. My children inform me that I get grumpy if I don't get enough sleep. David stays up all night to awaken the dawn. He doesn't want to miss God for a moment. His heart is steadfast. His song is secure. He offers to God his prayers, and he is waiting for his soul to awaken as with the morning sun. Awake, my soul. Awake and sing of him who died for me. I love how David sings to his own soul to come alive. And in the last verse, David says this, For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. My friends, there is a love and a faithfulness that is higher and broader and deeper and greater than the challenges that you're going through right now. You may be in the darkness with disease, with loneliness, with pain, with economic insecurity, with a relationship that is fraying at the seams under the pressure of what is happening right now. I have no idea what kind of danger you are in right now. Here's what I do know. There can come a moment where not only your heart is steadfast, but that your soul will come alive to the reality that there is a love and that there is a faithfulness that is bigger than the problems that you face. I am absolutely convinced, not only in the steadfast nature of what can be your heart, but even more so in the steadfast love of God, no matter what. I want to tell you the story of a woman who was born in 1892, and I want to show you a picture of her family. On the top left, the woman standing on the left of this photo is a woman by the name of Corey Ten Boone. She was born into a working class family. Her family was watchmakers in the Netherlands. And as she continued to grow up into a young woman and to have a family of her own, one of the things that she discovered was that in May in 1940, the world, the society that she had known, had begun to crumble around her. In other words, what she discovered was that in May of 1940, as the Nazis invaded her beloved country, is that she and her family were thrust into an untenable position there were many Jews in the community who began to quietly approach her, and they knew them to be a very devout and loving family. And they approached them to say, can, can you help? Is there anything that you can do? And so at the risk of their own lives, Corey Ten Boom and her family began to do things like this. I want to show you a picture, and you can go to this place, and you can see a place where she hid others. They called it the hiding place. You would crawl into the lower level of that closet 
and then you would hide, and they had actually even put in extra ventilation so that five people could hide in that shelter. There was a time where she and her boys uh, were together, and um, one of the things that she, she talks about is that some Nazi soldiers came by once, and they used basically a, a poison, a, a chloroform, if you will, and they knocked the soldiers out, and they stripped them down, and they took their uniforms, and and they actually went to an orphanage, the, the sons did, wearing the Nazi uniforms, and they rescued 100 Jewish babies from the orphanage before the Nazis could get to it. They did so by impersonating as Nazi officers and telling them and commanding them that the babies had to be given away on that day. They were incredibly resourceful and creative in the underground movement of being faithful in incredibly uncertain times. And one of the things we know is that over 800 people attribute their personal salvation and safety to Corey Tim Boone and her family. Well, there came a moment when somebody approached Corey and said, I have a mentally handicapped child. Can you help me to save them? I need money. And so she cleared out her savings and gave it to the person. Well, the person was a snitch and working for the Nazis. And not only did she lose all of her money, they came and they arrested all of her family. Corey was very close to her sister, Betsy, and they found themselves thrust into a concentration camp, this one here. And while they were forced into labor in that concentration camp, her sister, Betsy's health began to deteriorate. And right before she died, Betsy said this, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Corey Tim Boone believed that no matter how the darkness would come, that it was in the midst of that darkness that the light of Christ and the truth of the gospel would shine at its brightest. And so Corey was moved from that concentration camp after her sister died to the one that was more dangerous and was the one where they knew they were all on death row and that they were just awaiting the day when they were going to be murdered. And it was in this time that Corey wrote these words. And she said, For I too had a hiding place when things were bad. Jesus was this place. The rock cleft for me. Not only did Corey provide a hiding place for others because of the gospel, she knew with that same good news that she had a place that she could go in the worst of what human history has brought us in the midst of the Holocaust. In that moment, she knew there was a place where they could not reach her. Well, fortunately and amazingly, just because of a clerical error, Corey Ten Boom was freed from that concentration camp before she was killed. Here's a picture of her towards the end of her life. She lived until 1983. And so Corey Ten Boom wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Highly commend it to you if you haven't had a chance to read it. And in the midst of her writings, there is one quote that she says that has always stuck with me. And she puts it like this. She said, 
If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you will be at rest. My dear friends in Christ, there is a place of rest. There is a shelter to be found, a refuge, a place of security and safety, even in the highest of danger. But this refuge is not an address. It's a person. In the New Testament, we find out that he himself is our peace. Jesus is the true shalom, the one who can provide wholeness and healing and restoration for your life and your soul. And so there is a steadfast love and faithfulness that is available to you and to me, to Corey, and to others. That if we put our hope and our confidence in him, the dangers of this world will never reach us. Yes, there are times to fight, but there are other times to flee. And it's not cowardice, it's wisdom to be able to go to that deep, dark place where your soul can find its rest in Almighty God. And so let's take a lesson from this little bird, the golden-winged warbler, and to develop our sense of infrasound hearing, to hear those waves that can come for hundreds, if not thousands of miles, to tell us it's time to go. It's time to find a shelter, a hiding place, an agilum, and to bring your soul before your great God. Let's pray together. Our gracious and loving Father, we thank you for not only the courage of David, but also the wisdom of David to know when to run. Lord, there are many dangers in this world that we try to fight our way through, and in fighting it, we just make it worse. And so I pray for anybody that's in the midst of one of those dangers where they need to stop and to turn and to go the other direction. You tell us in your word to flee immorality, to flee sin, to flee the devil, to flee evil. And so God, in those moments where we need to run, give us wings and help us as your children to find those places of sanctuary and refuge in you and in you alone. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.